This is the Austin Life Church podcast. For more information, please visit us at austinlifechurch.com. All right, everybody, Acts chapter 26 is where we will spend the the bulk of our time uh, today. So if you have a Bible, I invite you to go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 26, um, or you can flip on your device or whatever whatever you use, but Acts chapter 26. um, We're excited. As of now, we are planning for returning back to meeting in person on June 21st. Um, Obviously, things may change. Um, but based on the way everything's heading right now and what the governor released this week, uh, we really feel confident that uh, come June 21st with all the, the precautions that we'll have in place and the, the uh, safety measures that we will be good to go uh, and to regather in person on June 21st. Uh, so go ahead and mark that down. Um, if you didn't get an email this week, uh, then uh, go online or follow the link below to go ahead and sign up for emails. That's uh, one of the best ways that you can stay in the loop with everything that's going on. Uh, and so make sure that you are receiving those emails. Um, if you have any troubles with it, by all means, reach out to, to mike.mobley at austinlifechurch.com. Uh, let, me, let me pray for us, uh, and then uh, we will keep going. Father, uh, we ask for you to speak to us. Uh, we ask for your spirit and your presence your power to, um, to fill us and to be, um, to be obvious to us and to cl- be clear to us. God, open our eyes to see and our ears to hear you. It's in Jesus we ask and we pray. Amen. Michael uh, Scott asked one of his co-workers, Toby, he said, why are you the way that you are? And uh, <laughs> I can't help but chuckle even <laughs> as I, I see that episode. Um, but yeah, he says, why, why are you the way that you are, um, honestly? And, and, and he's asking a very important question, you know, lovingly so. He, he obviously cares deeply about his friend Toby and, and wants to get to the heart of the matter of why, why Toby does what he does. He, he knows what Toby does, but he wants to know why. Um, why does Toby do what he does, um, i.e. suck the fun out of all of life, um, according to Michael, of course. Um, why is perhaps the most important question to ask? What is what we see on the outside? It's, it's really easy to identify what someone does, um, but why is the, that's the heart of it. That's what drives somebody. That's the motivating factor. So what we do is pretty easy to identify, but why do we do what we do? Why do we think the way we think? Why do we act the way we act? Why do we treat people the way we treat people? Why do we go to church and worship? Why is a very important question that really, until we're honest with, it's, it's hard to move forward. Our ceiling will be really low in growth if we don't understand why it is that we, we do what we do, why it is that we are the way we are. Um, when I was thinking about this, I thought back to middle school. I got in trouble in middle school uh, for, for really bullying a kid. Um, I, I, it's one of the things I regret most, um, but I, I just grouped up with some of my buddies and we just picked on this kid and got called into the office and talked to him about it. Um, I'm, not, I'm not a bully, I'm not a mean person, so why did I do that? And ultimately, it's because I was wildly insecure myself. I mean, I thought that if 
I was friends with these people and if I did what they did and if I made this kid feel smaller, I would feel bigger and more secure. Um, and so really why I did what I did was because I was, I was insecure. I wasn't, wasn't confident in who, who I was. And it's still true for me today um, is I struggle with insecurity and I have to watch what I'm doing and ask myself, why am I doing this? Is it for security? Is it for approval of others that will make me feel secure? Um, because if that's the case, then it's, it's going to never satisfy. It's going to come up empty. And so I just, I want us to ask that question today. Why? Why are we living the way we're living? Why are we doing what we're doing? Is it for security? Like it was for me. It is for me. Is it for an image? You want to portray this image? You want people to see you a certain way, and so that's why you, you act the way you do? Uh, is it for comfort? You know, that, that everything you do is ultimately driven by the, the why of comfort. Um, is it for uh, pleasure? Why do you do what you do? Because you want to be happy. You want to have pleasure in life. Um, is it for love? Is it love that compels you to, to do what you do and live the way you do? Um, why? It's such an important question that we need to ask and be honest with. Uh, today we come to the final chapters of Acts. And I realized that last, last time we preached in Acts, we were in Acts chapter 20. So that would put us in the 21 range of 28. Uh, so it's going to be like a five-hour sermon. Uh, so let's buckle in. Um, I, I kid, it's not, it's not going to be five hours, people. Come on. More like three and a half. Um, Acts is the historical account of Jesus continuing his work in the lives of his, his followers through the power of the Holy Spirit. So Acts was written by Luke. So really you can look at the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts as kind of a two-part um, series, book one and book two. And the Gospel of Luke is the account, the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. And then Acts is how Jesus continues to work, but now through his followers through those who call themselves Christians, and he's going to enable them to do the work by filling them with his spirit. So Jesus will send his spirit to live inside of Christians, and that's what will enable them to continue his, his work. It's a very active book. So Jesus says, you're going to start in Jerusalem, but then you are going to be my witnesses, talking to Christians. You will be my representatives in Jerusalem, to Judea, to Samaria, to the ends of the earth. God's strategy, God's way to reach all people in all places was through you and me, faithfully following the ways of Jesus. And so it's a very active book. But you've got to ask why. The church after Jesus' death was was basically done. Like it was going nowhere. So why now is Peter, who was previously uh, afraid of, of associating with Jesus, um, why is he now boldly standing in front of thousands in the rulers of the city, uh, unashamedly speaking the name of Jesus? At threats of prison and death, he says, man, I got I to gotta talk about him. I got to talk about what I've seen and heard. Why? Why is Peter that way now? Why, are, why did Stephen lay down his life in defense of the gospel? Why did he allow himself to be stoned to death? Why did normal men and women, as they packed up and moved out, why did they take the name of Jesus with them to the surrounding cities and, and regions? Why did Paul go from the, one of the most hate-filled 
persecutors of the church to really the, maybe the greatest leader second to Jesus. You know, why such a transformation in his life where he went from persecuting to being persecuted? Like what, why, what was going on? What was driving and compelling these men and women to lay down their lives, to surrender everything, to, to give everything they have in, in, in physical um, resources, in, in time, in ability, just to give it all to the way of Jesus. Why? Why? What drove them? And can that, can that, should that drive us today? Can we really be like these, these people? As we read the, the final chapters of Acts, it, Paul is questioned and accused and put on trial in just about every chapter. He, he, is, he is being questioned by just about everyone. In chapter 21, he gets to Jerusalem and he is questioned and tried by a Jewish mob who are out for blood. Like they are ready to rip him apart. But then the, uh, the Jewish tribune and the council step in and they're like, hey, we got we to gotta actually do this right. Um, and so they, they rescue Paul from the, the mob, from the riot, you know, in order to put him in front of the actual council and try him there. Um, in chapter 24, Felix, the governor of Judea, he steps in and he gets a shot at questioning Paul. Like, hey man, why are you doing this? Why do you live the way you live? Why does everybody want to kill you? Like, what is going on? Well, Felix can't get answers. And so he leaves Paul in prison uh, for a couple of years even until Felix succeeds. Um, Felix, I'm sorry, until Festus succeeds Felix. And so now you've got um, a new governor, Festus, steps in and, and he's like, hey, Felix, dude, what's going on with this Paul guy? And Felix's like, I don't know. I can't find anything wrong with him, but these, the Jews want to kill him. And so Festus goes, all right, let me take a shot. And so he starts questioning Paul. He can't get anywhere. So then King Agrippa, he steps in and the king starts questioning Paul in chapter 26, right? And so he's like, what's going on, Paul? Why are you the way that you are? Why do these people want to kill you? And he can't get answers. He can't find anything either. And so Paul then gets sent on his way to Rome where he will stand trial before Caesar, the, the, the most powerful figure in all of the world at that time. And so Paul is going from person to person, group to group, city to city, just being tried and questioned and accused. And yet no one can find anything wrong. No one can say you are condemned because of this. No one can point to something to say, you're, that's it. You're done. Like you're, you're, now you'll be executed or sentenced to. They're, they're trying to find something because there's such an uproar against him, but no one can find anything wrong. Why? Like why can they not find anything wrong with Paul? Why can they not find anything to condemn him? And it's because in following Christ, Paul has surrendered his life to live in a way worthy of the manner of the gospel of Christ. So in, in Philippians, um, Paul says, live your lives in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Live your lives in a way that reflects Jesus well. Live your lives in a way that honors Jesus well. That, that's the command that Paul is giving to others. In, in 1 John chapter 2, um, John would say, for anyone who abides in Christ, we are to walk just as Jesus walked. 
just as Jesus walked. We are to walk in his steps. Now, we may look at that and say, like, okay, he's speaking in hyperbole. Like, that's exaggerating. Like, it's not really that black and white. Or perhaps it was pretty black and white that the expectation for a Christian is to increasingly walk just as Jesus walked. And Jesus, knowing that command, gave Christians his spirit to be able to walk just as he walked. See, I think Paul, he, I think he, he knew that's how he was supposed to live. In the way of Jesus, in a manner worthy of Christ. And in Christ, he He was above reproach. He had high character. He had high integrity. There was no sin found in him. Christ, he was holy and righteous. And now Jesus expects Paul and other Christians to live in the same way, holy and righteous, above reproach. Peter would tell tell, uh, many Christians in, in 1 Peter, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Peter tells followers, it's what Paul is actually living out. It's why they can't find anything to condemn him for. Live in such an honorable way. Live in such a way like Jesus, that when people want to condemn you, they really can't find anything to condemn you for. They've got to start making stuff up. They've got to start looking for ways. And that is how Paul lived. That's why they couldn't condemn him. Because he lived in a way worthy of Christ. He lived in a way that reflected Christ well. Listen, as, as Christians, if, if you're listening to this today and you say, I am a Christian, my faith is in Jesus, I am following him, then our lives are meant to look like Jesus. And we have the spirit of Jesus in us to enable us, to make us able to live that way. Here's a a question for you to ask yourself. Practical question. Get get your pencil or your pen or whatever you do to take notes. Write this down. 1 Corinthians 11, chapter chapter 11, verse 1. Paul says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Paul, Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 tells the Corinthians, hey, do what I do. Because if you do what I do, you're doing what Jesus does because I'm following Jesus. So here's my question for you. If someone were to follow your life, step by step, word for word, action for action, thought for thought, if they were to follow your life, would they be following the way of Jesus? If someone was to progress through life right behind you, would they be progressing closer and closer and closer to Jesus? Could someone imitate you and therefore be imitating Jesus as you are imitating Jesus? If someone were to learn to communicate how I communicate, how you communicate, if they learn to say what we said, if they learn to text how we text, if they learn to post how we posted, would they be communicating more like Jesus? If someone learned to spend their leisure time in the same way we spend our downtime, our leisure time, would they be spending their downtime more like Jesus? If someone learned to work exactly how we worked, if someone approached work with the same attitude and heart and, and integrity and character, would they be working more like Jesus by following you? 
if someone were to look at the way I handle money? Would they look at the way I handle money and be handling money in the same heart, the same way that Jesus would? If someone looked at the way that we suffer, would they be suffering like Jesus if they followed the way that we suffer? If someone patterned their life after the way we have relationships with others, after the way we care for others, after the way we treat our family and our our friends, would they be treating others the same way that Jesus treats others? It's a great question to ask. If I take the time to stop and look at my life, and if I had someone, which I have four kids, so I do have someone, who's trying to follow after me and learn life the way I do life, am I following Jesus in such a way that as they follow me, they're actually following Jesus? They're growing closer to Him. They're looking more and more like Him. This is the life of a Christian. This is the life that Jesus calls us to. This is the life that Paul was living in these last chapters of Acts, and they couldn't find anything to condemn him. All these trials, all these accusations, and they couldn't ultimately find something morally wrong to condemn him for, because he was living his life in a manner worthy of Christ. So this is what Paul did. This is how he lived. But why? Why would Paul live this way? Why would he give up his life to follow Jesus? And the answer that we see in Acts chapter 26 is grace. Grace. Grace is what changed him. Grace, an easy way to think of grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. G-R-A-C-E. God's riches at Christ's expense. That God gives the riches of his blessing and favor and life at the expense of Christ. That God blesses you and me and Paul with his riches at the expense of Christ. This is the only power that is able to change us and motivate us to live like Jesus, is grace. This is what has to compel us and grip us and drive us. This is what drove Paul to live like Jesus, is grace, is receiving grace. D.A. Carson has a great quote. He said, people do not drift toward holiness. We're not going to casually just kind of stumble into Christ-likeness. He says, apart from grace-driven effort, grace-motivated effort, people do not gravitate toward godliness, prayer, obedience to Scripture, faith, and delight in the Lord. Rather, we drift toward compromise and call it tolerance. We drift toward disobedience and call it freedom. We slide toward godlessness and convince ourselves we have been liberated. We... We're naturally gonna, we're naturally driven by selfishness. It's only grace that can override that and drive us towards Christ's likeness. So, what is this grace? How do we see it in Paul's life? In chapter 26, Paul is he's he's explaining himself before King Agrippa. And he starts in verse 4 by explaining his manner of life from his youth, his his former way of of living. And, and it was a way, he says here, that was extremely zealous, he says in verse 5, that according to the strictest party of our religion, he lived as a Pharisee. He was very religious. He, he knew of the God of the Bible. He loved the God of the Bible. He trusted that one day a Messiah was coming, 
that would save, that would save the, the Jewish nation. He was very faithful to that way. He followed the way of the Pharisees so much so in verse 9, he says, I was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. I punished them often in the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. So Paul says, my former manner of life, the way I used to live, was very passionately against Jesus and those who followed him. See, according to his faith and his religion, he believed he was honoring God by persecuting Jesus and persecuting those who followed his way. He believed that he was shutting down a, a, a cult, a, a rogue way of claiming to, to know God and follow God. He thought he was doing something good for God. He was passionate against it and zealous against it. And he was giving his life towards the persecution of these Christians. And then he says, on his way to Damascus, at midday, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. So he's on his way to Damascus to continue persecuting the church and Christians. He says, when all had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul. That was his name before it was changed to Paul. He says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. So Paul is on his way to Damascus, and this light, brighter, more powerful than the sun, shines down and breaks through. I mean, it's, it, I can't imagine what that does. But in his gut, Paul knows this is God. Like, this is spiritual. This is supernatural. And so he says, who are you? And the voice comes back and says, I am Jesus. The living voice, the active presence of Jesus was there speaking to him. There's a couple things Paul knew right away in that moment. The first thing he knew was, shoot, this Jesus is the real thing. He's the real deal. This Jesus is who he said he is. He he did what he said he would do. He is the Messiah. He is the King. He is the one who has come to take away our sins. He is the one who has come to rescue and redeem and save. He is the King of Kings, the Prince of Peace, the Lord of Lords, the great I am. This Jesus is the living God. And you may think, Corey, how in the world did he get all of that? Well, here's the thing. Paul knew about Jesus. That's why he was persecuting him. He knew who Jesus claimed to be. He knew what Jesus said. But he didn't believe Jesus because he saw Jesus hung on a cross and, and dead and buried. And so why would he trust and believe this Jesus who was dead and buried? What kind of king is that? It must be a fake, a false king. But now this Jesus is alive and talking to him. And so Paul knows uh-oh, he's not dead. He, he's alive. He must be who he said he was. He must be. If he's dead, okay, it's done. But he's alive. He's here talking to me. He's present and living and active. And so in that moment, Paul knew 
everything that Jesus said, it was in fact true and real. The resurrection changed everything. It is what moved Acts into existence. The church was dead and crumbling. Everybody was bailing and running away from Jesus when he died. So then why is it now thriving in the book of Acts? Why does the church go from imploding on itself at Jesus' death to exploding into the fastest movement ever in the recorded history of religion? Why? Because Jesus was alive, and that changed everything. That gave everybody a fuel and a fire and a drive within a why to live the way they lived because Jesus was alive. And if Jesus is alive, then by, by gosh, they can trust him and they can give their lives to him and they can follow him and he's worth it. And so Paul knew in that moment, Jesus is alive and that changes everything. He's the real, he's the real deal. He also knew in that moment I'm not just persecuting men and women. I'm not just persecuting religious people. I am persecuting Jesus himself, the king, the judge. Jesus said, "You, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Because when someone trusts Jesus, the spirit of Jesus himself, the spirit of God comes and dwells in them. And so the way Paul was treating those people is the way he was treating Jesus. The way he would love or hate or, or care for, it, it, it was the way he was loving or hating or caring for Jesus. And his past life was incredibly hostile towards these men and women, therefore towards Jesus. We've seen this theme in Acts, that how we treat one another, how we love one another, it, it's not just treating another person that way. It's not just caring for another person that way. It is our love and care and worship to God himself. That has to sink deeply in our souls. The way we treat other people is the same as treating God himself that way. That should burn deep inside of us. And so Paul knows he's persecuting Jesus himself, the King, the risen Lord. And the third thing he knows is that he is guilty. All of these other trials, no one can condemn him. All of these other accusations, no one can find anything to stick. All these other kings and rulers, man, they can't, they can't condemn him as guilty. But this king, the living king Jesus, he can condemn Paul as guilty. There's a record of sin a mile long, and Paul is without doubt guilty before this king. This is massively important to understanding grace. Is first understanding our guilt before the king. If we cannot grasp, if we cannot have our eyes open and our, our minds open to understanding our horrific guilt against the king, grace will not have the value and beauty that it does. We have to recognize, and Spirit, I ask that you would do that now, that we would recognize our treason, our sin against the risen and living King Jesus, because that is first and foremost what opens our eyes to the beauty of grace. So Paul knows, I am guilty before this King Jesus. He can condemn me. But that's not what happens. Verse 16, Jesus says, But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me, and, do, and to those in which I will appear to you delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to open their eyes 
so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Paul finds himself face to face with the king, the judge, whom he has persecuted, and he is guilty. There's no way around it, just like you and I are guilty. The gavel is raised, ready to condemn, but grace interrupts. Paul is standing, ready to be condemned guilty, but grace in the form of Jesus steps in and stands in his place. And so where Paul should have been crushed, he was lifted up. Where Paul should have been condemned, he was set free. Where Paul should have been punished, Jesus was punished in his place. This is grace. God's riches of forgiveness and life and light and and, and power given to Paul at the expense of Jesus. Jesus paid the price so that Paul wouldn't have to. Jesus paid the price so that Paul could be forgiven. Jesus died so that Paul could live. That is grace. That is grace that the full record of sin was pardoned and washed away. And so when Paul realized this, when he sees this, that his full debt against this king was forgiven by the works of this king, by the price paid for by this king, that is grace that changed everything for him. That this king would give him life. It changed everything. It became his motivating factor. He was compelled by this love. This is why Paul lived in a manner worthy of Jesus, because Jesus gave his life so that Paul could be forgiven and given a new chance, a new life with God. This is why you and I should live in a manner worthy of Jesus. This is why our lives should look like Jesus, because it is the grace of Jesus alone that suffered and died in order to pay the penalty for our sins. It is the resurrection of Jesus alone that offers us this transaction where he will take our sin and give us his righteousness, where we can be wiped clean and made new. We are guilty before the king. We have sinned against Jesus, and yet Jesus would come and suffer in our place. That is grace. Undeserving, amazing grace. And this is what should compel us. This is why we should live the way we live. This is why we forgive, because he has forgiven us. This is why we love, because he has loved us. This is why we put on humility, because he humbled himself for us. This is why we serve others around us, because he served us. This is why we worship God, because he alone is worthy of everything we have. This is the why that matters more than anything. But rise and stand upon your feet, that God would lift us up and we deserve to be punished and brought low. That, that Jesus would suffer in our place. It's undeserving, unmerited, and it is the why that changes everything. This changed Paul's life. He would spend the rest of his life devoted to living for Jesus, that others would see him and know him. The book of Acts, it ends in Acts 28, verse 30 and 31, he's in Rome, Paul is, and it says he lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. 
from that moment on his way to Damascus, when he stood before the living king and he knew he was guilty, but grace interrupted and offered Paul forgiveness and a new life. Paul's life was never the same. It's not that he was perfect. He, he writes about that in Romans. He has his struggles and his ups and downs. You see it in first, or 2 Corinthians. But his life was devoted to Jesus because Jesus gave everything for Paul to have life. This is why we, we, like Paul, should spend our lives proclaiming the kingdom of God and, and forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ. Is this how you're living your life? Is this how I'm living my life? Has grace impacted us in such a way? There was a moment in Acts 9 where, where Paul was, was guilty and then he was forgiven where Paul was controlled by the power of Satan, and then he was controlled by the power of God. Where Paul was walking in darkness of sin, and then he was walking in the light of righteousness. Have you encountered that moment? Yeah, it's not going to be like Paul's moment. He, he, he's, it's a one-time thing, I think. But, but spiritually, we're either dead or alive. There's really no in-between. There's no mostly dead, partially alive. We're either dead or alive spiritually before God. And the only way we're made alive is by trusting in Jesus alone to remove our sin, which keeps us dead, and to give us his life, which makes us alive. It's not anything we do. We're not able to. It's only by simply trusting him, give our lives to him in worship as a response. Have you had that moment where you said, all right, I trust, I'm in. I'm following Jesus. I don't have all my questions answered. I may not be perfect, but I am following Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. I'm in. And you surrender to him. If you haven't, you can do that. Right now, you can do that. It's, it, wherever you are, listening, watching, you can trust your life and surrender to Jesus. And we would love more than anything to hear about that and to help walk with you as we grow in our faith, in the image of Jesus. We're not meant to do that alone. It's impossible. If you have trusted Christ, I think a lot of times we lose the wonder of this grace. We, we, we get distracted. We forget. It becomes commonplace. I get it. I totally get it. And so what do we do with that? I'm real excited for where I believe God's leading us as a church really, really excited. I think that, I think that we're going to answer those questions. But the first thing I would say, I mean, just practically start to apply this is we have to know our God and we know him by reading and listening and waiting on his voice and then obeying what he says. Read and listen and wait and obey. Let's be a people who are driven by grace, by the grace of Jesus, and devote our lives to living in a manner worthy of Christ. He is so worth it. Let's pray. God, speak to us. Let us hear your voice right now. May we be honest with ourselves and before you of where we are. And give us the courage to surrender all 
because you gave your all. I want to invite you to just take a second wherever you are and just be still and quiet and listen for God's voice. That, that stirring, that prompting, that kind of weight in your heart. What is he telling you to do? And then would you trust him and do it and follow him? God, we thank you and love you. Speak to us and show us your way. In Christ, we ask. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the Austin Life Church podcast. To help support us, please take a second to rate and review us on iTunes and visit us at austinlifechurch.com.